0: Thank you, sister. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is so good to be here with you. Actually, my wife Rachel and I, our family, I was just on sabbatical this summer, and we actually spent a Sunday here this summer worshiping with you. Um, And it was such a delight to see Jesus Christ lifted up and made much of in your midst to hear your joyful singing and at that halftime seeing the love for one another and the way in which God is knitting your hearts together as the family of God. It's a it's a joy and a delight to be here with you and to have the opportunity now to invest, make a deposit with the Word of God as you continue to go through this series on the significance of meals. My, my mind goes back to a significant moment, a significant meal. Um, back in the fall of 2013, my wife Rachel and I were enjoying a meal together with uh, an associate pastor and his wife from, from Moore, South Carolina. And we sat across from one another and enjoyed a meal at Tiffany's Diner. You wanna go high-class Northeast Philly, hit up Tiffany's Diner you got to have breakfast at Tiffany's at least once in your life, okay? And so we were sitting there enjoying that meal, and, and God was meeting with us over that table. God was meeting with us in that conversation, and it was that conversation that kind of became a trigger point, a significant moment in God leading Josh and Miriam to come up and be an intern with us at our church in northeast Philadelphia, which would eventually lead to Josh and Miriam being here with you, Talk about the significance of a meal, the significance of God meeting with you and a few others over an ordinary meal and moving and leading in an extraordinary way, making his presence known. And that is our hope this morning as we dive into God's word, that we would see the significance of how Jesus intends to meet with us in ordinary ways, showing us his extraordinary Grace, I I invite you back now to the text that was read just a few moments ago, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and I just want to once again direct your attention to the most significant part of this text that I will be drawing our attention to today, and that is verse 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. If you're like me, you have a catalog of moments where you remember experiencing awe and wonder. You know, those moments in your life where all you can do is step back and go, that was awesome. For me, my mind's kind of organized by dates, so I have a number of dates that are associated with those kind of awesome moments that I have lived through. One of those was October 20th, 1994, I was a senior in high school, and that was the day that they were demolishing the Sears clock tower at the intersection of Adams and the Boulevard. The, the Sears clock tower stood as kind of a, a monument of, of sorts, a, a landmark that you were entering to the Northeast, the best part of the city, by the way, it's where I was born and raised. Um, but they decided that that clock had, that had, had run its course. They were demolishing that whole Sears building. They were going to be putting a new strip mall in that area. And so my buddy Tim, actually Josh and Miriam's brother-in-law, we threw on our rollerblades, we skated down to the blast zone, and we got as close as we could. And we, I still remember the countdown. And when the countdown was finished, I watched nine million bricks tumble to the ground in a matter of seconds. I mean, I could feel the ground rumbling under my skates. That was awesome. (laughs) Or how about May 19th, 2001, uh, my wedding day. I mean, I still remember the moment where I stood in the front of the auditorium with my back to the doors waiting for Rachel to make her appearance. Before we got into all the busyness of taking pictures that day, um, we wanted to have a moment where I saw her for the first time in her wedding dress. And I heard the doors open. I turned around, and there she was. My beautiful bride. That was awesome. Or how about April 2nd, 2003? September 17th, 2004. September 18th, 2006. The birthdays of each of our three children, Payson, Piper, and Silas. I can still remember holding each one of them in my arms for the very first time. That was awesome. Or maybe some dates you can identify with. December 19th, 2001, the the appearing, the the, the premier showing of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Rings. Okay? I mean, those, those, those books that I've read and, and tried to envision them in my mind, finally, they would be on the big screen. I mean, I still remember seeing Gandalf take his staff, plant it on that bridge in the mines of Moria and say, you shall not pass! That was awesome. <laughs> or how about October 26, 2008, Phillies win the World Series. February fifth, two 2018, the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Those were awesome moments but the one that sticks out to me most, February 29th, 1994. I was a young kid growing up in northeast Philadelphia in a very rough-around-the-edges Irish Catholic family. Through a series of providential events, I got invited out to a youth group that met at the corner of K and Lycoming Streets in Juniata Park. After about a year going to the youth group every Friday night, I finally got invited to go to this big thing these kids were talking about, this winter retreat up in Scroon Lake, New York, at World of Life Camp. I remember sitting there that night, hearing the gospel like I'd never heard it before. Not because the preacher was great. In fact, our youth pastor was pretty amazing. But a very regular, plain, direct preaching of the gospel that night was combined with the working of the Holy Spirit. And I repented of my sins and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My life has never been the same. That was awesome. As we consider Acts 2 to 47, we, we find a local church that is filled with awe and wonder. We just read in verse 43 that awe came upon every soul. This church was experiencing awesome moments. And what we're going to see is that the reason why this church was filled with awe and wonder, is because this church was aware that Jesus was among them. Jesus was their welcome guest. Whether in the temple or at home at their tables, Jesus was among them and they knew it. His presence was tangible his power was discernible. His grace was palpable. His nearness was detectable. And day by day, they were aware that the crucified, risen, ascended, and returning Lord of all was right there with them. And it was awesome. Day by day, this church went deeper in their awe of Jesus because day by day, this church was more and more aware of the presence of Jesus. And that's what you should want, church. This is what you should want, Trinity Community Church. A church that goes deeper in your all of Jesus, because you are more deeply aware that Jesus is right here in your midst. That's the big idea we wanna consider this morning we go deeper in our all of Christ's nearness as we go deeper in our pursuit of Christ's presence this is jesus vision not for the just for the church on the pages of the book of acts This is Jesus' vision for his church until he returns. The book of Acts is not simply a monument to admire, but a model to aspire. And church, Jesus wants you to be more and more aware that he is here with you. And you will be more aware. You will go deeper in your awareness of his nearness as you are more deeply aware that when you seek him, you will find him. If you search with all your heart, and it will be awesome. Let's consider this amazing reality from three angles in the text before us this morning. I want to talk about all defined. What does it mean to be in all of Christ? I want to talk about all discovered. How do we pursue being in all of Christ? And I want us to talk about all denied. What keeps us from being in all of Christ? First, all defined. What does it mean to be in all of Christ, verse 43, "And all came upon every soul." What does it mean that all came upon every soul? Well, the word "soul" here is talking about the inside of a person, the, the immaterial part of you, the part that you can't see, but the part of you that you sense feel. It's it's talking about the the emotions, the feelings, the perceptions, the the inside of you. So whatever this all is describing that we're going to seek to discover this morning, it's something that everyone in the church in Jerusalem felt or experienced at the deepest level of their being. The word all is the Greek word phobos, phobos. And growing up and ministering in Philly, I usually don't drop Greek bombs unless those words sound like something else. The word phobos is where we get our English word phobia. It means to be afraid, literally means to be afraid. It's a word that describes a deep emotional experience that affects the body and the mind. It's also a word that has a spectrum of nuanced implication. Depending on its use in scripture, this word can be used to describe dread or delight. It can be a negative emotion or a positive emotion. It can mean terror or it can mean terrific. It's a word that describes two extremes. When you experience awe, your heart either goes, oh no, or oh wow. For example, in the text that was read during our liturgy this morning from Isaiah chapter 6, in the year the King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up in his train filled the temple. And And when Isaiah saw the beauty and the holiness of the exalted Jesus, what was his initial response? Oh no. Woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king. And it wasn't until God reminded him of his atoning mercy, that his sins were purged and forgiven, that that oh no moment turned into an oh wow moment. Here am I, Lord. Send me. This all experiences is what the disciples experience with, with Jesus in the boat. Just as a side, as I read my Bible, if I were the disciples, the last place I'd ever want to go with Jesus is in a boat. There's always a problem in the boat, okay? Every time they got in the boat, there's a problem, okay? So here they are in the boat, and guess what? There's a storm. I mean, this is, like, very predictable. It makes you laugh. There, it's, it's a storm, and Jesus is so wiped out. He's the God-man And so he's so wiped out from public ministry that he's taking a nap in the bottom of the boat. A storm comes and the disciples are like, oh no, we're going to die. And they wake Jesus up. Jesus comes up and he stands on the side of the boat and goes, peace, be still. And how do the disciples respond then? Oh, wow. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. That's all. The word translated all captures the sentiments of oh no, oh wow, and everything in between. But whether it's oh no or oh wow, the common denominator is that all happens when a soul is aware that they are in God's presence. Whether it's oh no or oh wow, all is what happens when you experience the nearness of God. Those who are in all of God are always aware that God is not just out there somewhere. He's right here among us in our midst. So when we read in verse 43 that all came upon every soul, What this means is that everybody in this church, everybody in the church of Jerusalem could sense that Jesus was right there among them. Even though they could not see him with their eyes, they could sense him in their soul. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Acts, makes the following observation about where this all came from. He says, God had visited their city. He was in their midst, and they knew it. They knew it. God was in their midst, and they could sense it. They could not see God with their eyes, but they could sense God, apprehend God. I would even say felt God. God. In their souls. That's all. All is not a concept or a principle or a proposition, although concepts and principles and prepositions are important, propositions are important. All is an experience, a sense, a feeling in response to the presence of Christ. And so, for the church in Jerusalem, they, they kept having these oh no and oh wow moments as they experienced the presence of Christ. It was oh no when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead before the church because of their sin of conspiring to lie to the church and to God. We read in Acts 5:5, 5, 5, and great fear, same word, phobos, came upon all who heard it. Oh no. Our sins are forgiven in Christ, but oh no. It was oh wow when God adds to their number day by day those who are being saved, like in Pentecost and and every other moment where we have a tabulation of how the risen, ascended Christ is saving and assembling his church. Wow. F.F. Bruce, New Testament scholar notes, there was an enduring sense of awe Inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst. It's also worth noting that this all came upon them. This means that it was a passive experience. In other words, they didn't choose to be an all. All isn't a switch that you turn on, you can't make all happen. All doesn't happen if you have the right songs and the right lighting and you get the smoke machine going and you, ooh, God is here. Right. You can't make all happen. All is passive. All came upon them. It's the effect that Christ has on the soul that is aware that he is near, which simply means God makes All happen. And can we just say this? Here's here's a logical deduction from that. If God makes all happen, God wants us to be in awe of Him. God wants us to sense him and feel him and experience his presence. God wants us to know he's near. And he wants us to sense the effect of his nearness upon our soul. And and maybe based, let me just say this, based upon your tradition, your upbringing, how long you've been a Christian, maybe you've been, come from different traditions in Christendom. And maybe you come more from a a more reformed, sterile, we used to be called the frozen chosen, Right? Sing with our hands recited. no, not with our hands recited, with their hymnals in their hands, right? And there's nothing wrong with hymnals and there's nothing wrong with standing still while you sing, but we, we that's the way you, you show reverence to God, by your stillness and by your quietness. And so when we talk about sensing God, feeling God, experiencing God, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Christianity's up here. Or maybe you come from the other extreme where maybe you come from more of a Pentecostal background or more of a, a, a touchy-feely, the Holy Rollies, you know? And you're like, Un- unless, you re- unless you walk out of church with an experience, well, then that sermon wasn't anointed. I mean, unless you, ju- unless you leave this building doing jumping jacks and cartwheels in Jesus' name, then Josh wasn't feeling the Spirit, right? Regardless of what, what traditions you may come from or what extremes... Here's something that's really, really important. If God makes all happen, if God wants you to sense him, regardless of what makes that a difficult theological, practical pill to swallow, it's true. God wants you to sense him. God wants you to know he's present. Some of the last words out of the mouth of Jesus when he, before he ascended, He gives the great commission. He says, go make disciples of the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I commanded you, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'm going to be with you. So, Jesus wants you to know. He wanted his disciples to know. He wants his church to know. He wants us to know that he is with us to the end of the age. And sometimes it feels like we're at the end of the age, but we haven't gotten there yet. And until the end of the age, Jesus says, I want you to know that I am with you. Present. near." Close. Now, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're thinking on your toes, you might be thinking, okay, listen, that's kind of an odd place for Jesus to say that. I'm with you to the end of the age. Right before he ascends, and we're still waiting for him to come back 2,000 years later. So how is it that Jesus is with us, even though we don't see him with our eyes? How can we sense his nearness if he's not here with us physically? Tangibly, touchable. Well, this was something that Jesus really wanted to get his disciples ready for before his ascension. Jesus said in John 14, verses 16 through 18, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, for you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you Jesus said i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you in other words church in between the times of jesus leaving and returning the way jesus is with us is by the presence of the holy spirit the same apostle said in 1 john 3:24 and by this we know that he that's jesus abides in us by the spirit who he has given to us. And by this we know, very interesting colorful word in the original language, doesn't mean just know in your head, but to sense, experience. This is how you know, experience, sense, that he, Jesus, is in us, with us, for us, near us, by the spirit who he has given to us meaning the primary way we sense the presence of Jesus as we wait for his physical and glorious return is through the Holy Spirit who's been given to indwell each and every one of us. Jesus doesn't want us to be alone, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to sense his nearness. And so as the book of Acts develops, this is where all was coming from. The church was aware of the presence of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we also continue to experience the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's where all comes from. It comes from experiencing the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So let me just stop back up before we go any further and say this. Let's just be amazed by this. Be amazed by this. Jesus is with us right now. Jesus is here. The one who loves you and gave himself for you the one who lived the life you could not live and died the death you deserve to die and rose from the dead and ascended on high and and has been given a name that's above every name and will, will come back and judge the living and the dead and make all things new. This Lord of all is here with you this morning. Isn't that awesome? Among other things, it means this. As you go out into the neighborhood, as you go to work, you go, you go to, to school, wherever you be, and you're inviting people to church, try this one out. Hey, you should come to my church. You know who goes there? Jesus. I've had super awkward conversations with people. I'm not going to go to your church. Church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And I usually say, first, you're right. That means you fit right in. Um, and I said, but there's someone there who's not a hypocrite who will change your life, and I'd love to introduce you to him. His name is Jesus, and he's with us, and I want you to meet him. Church, Christ is here among you. On the Sundays where the liturgy goes exactly the way it's planned, and on the Sundays when the sound system falls out and the wrong slides are on the screen, Jesus is here with you, because he's promised. He does not want you to be alone. And what's true about you collectively is also true about you, church, individually. You are never alone. Christ is with you. And I just have a sense that someone needs to hear this this morning. You are going through the dark night of your soul. Things have happened that you have not seen or planned or could have ever imagined would be going on in your life right now. And you're barely hanging on by a thread. And Christ wants you to know in those darkest moments when you think you're alone and you're burying your face in your hands and you're you're crying yourself to sleep yet again, you are not alone. The one who loves you and gave himself for you is with you and in you by the Spirit. And that Lord will carry you Church, you are not alone. Christ is here in your midst, and he wants you to be aware of it. Whether you sing this song or not, every time we come together, we are to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love us, a bunch of sinners condemned and unclean. That's all defined. All is the effect of God on the soul of the one who's aware of Christ's presence. But if we just leave it there, it's a little nebulous. It's a little intangible. Notice second, all discovered. How do we pursue being in all of Christ? And I promised Josh that at some point in this sermon, it would connect with your sermon series. To answer that question, we need to see how verses 42 and 43 relate. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every Soul. Here's the connection we're supposed to make. As the church pursued the teaching of the apostles, as the church pursued fellowship in large groups at the temple, and then around the table, house to house, as they pursued the breaking of the bread at the Lord's table, in the house of God at the supper, as they poured themselves out in prayer to God, as they gathered together, it was by pursuing Christ through these ordinary means is through pursuing Christ in these ordinary means of grace as they are categorized theologically that all came upon every soul. In other words, the word, fellowship, sacrament, and prayer, both in the temple and around their house tables, were the places where Christ made his presence known, and it was where they were made more aware that the crucified, risen, and ascended God was in their midst. And so as the gospel was preached and the Bible was read, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit. As they fellowshiped together and showed hospitality to one another and broke bread in their homes, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they broke the bread and drank the cup, Partaking in the Lord's Supper, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they prayed to God together, pouring out their hearts to God for provision, for protection, for guidance, and even miraculous signs and wonders, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they praised God together with glad and generous hearts, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And as they served the neighborhood... In word and deed, having favor among all the people, they and those they were seeking to reach experienced the nearness of Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So here's the point for us the way we discover, set ourselves up for all in wonder, is by pursuing the means where Christ has promised to meet us. It's by pursuing the means through which Christ makes his presence known, the word, fellowship, sacrament, prayer. It is when we pursue the ordinary means of grace that we experience an extraordinary sense of Christ's presence. And when we experience his presence, all comes upon our souls. So here's the extra application for where you are in your sermon series right now. I believe this is the proper setting, one of the proper settings to discuss the significance of your kitchen or dining room table. The significance of meeting with someone over an ordinary meal. It is both in the Lord's table and at your table that the presence of Christ can be encountered. It is both at the Lord's table as we're in the house of God as his guests, that Christ meets with us and moves us to awe and wonder. And it's at your table, in your house, that Christ will reveal himself and make his presence known as your guest. Today we are in the house of the Lord and we come to his, his table as guests and it's from here that we go to our Houses and from house to house among the congregation, and there in our ordinary meals, as the church did here, we experience the presence of Christ. I was so encouraged by Joe's sermon last Sunday. I listened to it online, and that that moving passage in Luke chapter 24, where they're sitting at a table and eating a meal, and when Christ broke the bread, he was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread in a very similar way as we meet with one another and eat our meals with glad and generous hearts, there will be moments for us as we incorporate Christ into the conversation, as we share in the fellowship we have because of our common bond in Christ, there will be moments around our ordinary tables where we experience the extraordinary presence of Christ as he makes himself known to us through our conversation, through our prayers through bearing one of those burdens, through words of encouragement, through reading the scriptures, through studying the word, through ordinary discipleship moments around our kitchen tables, Christ makes his presence known in significant ways. And so, do you want to be filled with awe and wonder? Here's one of the ways. Ordinary hospitality with gospel intentionality Create space to encounter the extraordinary presence of Christ. Ordinary hospitality creates space to encounter the extraordinary presence of Christ. Simon Kerry Holt, former chef, now pastor and theologian, serves in a church in Melbourne, Australia. I bet their family feasts are amazing at that church. <laughs> he said the following, hospitality, is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation. Providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. How much do we need to be reminded? How often do we need to be reminded? And how often do our neighbors who don't know Christ need to be introduced to this reality that the Christian life and the Christian faith is not just for significant moments of of heartache and tragedy and difficulty. Christ not only meets us in our most difficult times, Christ meets with us in the most ordinary ways. And so hospitality is opening our lives, opening our tables, introducing one another and our neighbors to the presence of Christ. Day by day, this church gathered in one another's homes, eating meals with glad and generous hearts as they welcomed Christ as a guest to their table. And it changed their lives. This is how we discover all. We pursue the means through which Christ meets with us by the Holy Spirit. The word, fellowship, sacrament, prayer, hospitality. Finally, all denied. It's one thing to want this. It's another thing to encounter it. I'm reminded of Proverbs 13:4, the soul of the slugger desires but has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be richly blessed. In other words, it's not enough to desire more of Christ's presence. It's not enough to desire your soul being brought into all of him. You must go after him. You must pursue him through these means. Go after him in the word. Go after him in prayer. Go after him in fellowship. Go after him in praise. Go after him in service. And when you go after him, Christ is eager to make himself known to you. But if you do not go after him, if you do not pursue him, ordinarily that means that you encounter less of him. You won't experience all in wonder if you don't pursue Christ's presence through the means where he makes himself known. And so when we come together, like we're gathered this morning, we don't sit here passively like spectators. We come together into the house of the Lord and we pray like Moses. Show me your glory. We come together like Jacob. I will not let you go until you bless me when you come into this space Sunday after Sunday, come as one who is eager to experience the presence of God through all the means where Christ makes himself known. One of the greatest blessings of the church gathered is that she is identified as the dwelling place of God. Ephesians 2.22, for you are God's dwelling place in Christ by the Spirit. But isn't it true that it's one thing to have a privilege, it's another thing to take advantage of it? I remember many years ago, one of my friends got me a really, really kind and very intentional gift for Christmas. It was a Starbucks travel mug. You say, well, that's not too special. I lose those all the time. Um, But this one was very special. As I opened up this travel mug, there was a card inside, and the card inside said that this particular travel mug was eligible for one free espresso drink every day in the month of January. Come on. Okay. This was a very kind gift. I received it on Christmas, December 25th, so I had to wait till January 1st to take advantage of this amazing privilege. So the alarm clock goes on, goes off, on January 1st, New Year's Day. And you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking caramel macchiato. I'm thinking, I'm thinking caramel latte. I'm thinking I wish it was September so I could get a free pumpkin spice latte, all right? Bring it on. But here's, here's what didn't happen that morning. I didn't wake up on January 1st and hear a ding at the door, ding dong, your latte, sir. Now that would have been a really great gift, Okay. <laughs> I had this privilege. I had this mug that offered me a great delight, but here's what I had to do. I had to grab the mug, get in my car, drive her to the Starbucks and get it filled up. Christ is here with you. What a privilege. What a privilege to be the place where God dwells. What a privilege to be the people among whom Christ dwells by his spirit. It's one thing to have the privilege. It's another thing to go after it. All is denied when we simply deny ourselves the responsibility of pursuing our great privilege in Christ. A.W. Tozer, in his powerful little life-changing book, I've read this several times, The Pursuit of God, he made the following comment about God's presence. He goes, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him, In loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. How do we cooperate? We pursue him. We pursue Christ through the means that he makes himself known. The word, prayer, sacrament, your dining room table. You will go deeper in all of Jesus as you go deeper in your pursuit of Jesus, through the means that he graciously has chosen to make himself known by the Holy Spirit. Church, may you be more aware that Christ is with you, among you, and in you. And as you pursue him, may you sense him. And as you sense him, May you continually be amazed that he is with you to the end. Amen. Amen. Father, we come to you now and thank you and praise you for this word from your word. We are humbled that sinners like us would have such a gracious privilege to be in your very presence. And we know that the only reasons why we get to be, the only reason we get to be in your presence is because Christ is ever above before you, pleading for us as our great mediator. His blood has cleansed us from all our sins. His righteousness declares us fit to stand before your presence, faultless with great joy. We thank you and praise you that the church of Jesus Christ is the place that you intend to dwell until you return in your person to be with us face to face. And we thank you that it's not only when we gather like this, it's when we gather in ordinary spaces and places around the table, sharing meals, that it is there that you make yourself known to us. And I pray that as you make yourself known to us, here at your table and at home at our tables, I pray, oh God, that our hearts would be moved and amazed that you are among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.